Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. So good to see you today. Listen, today we're starting a new series in the book of Daniel. And I wanted to kind of springboard off of our Easter message, how Jesus was calling us to, from being secret disciples like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea into being seen followers of Jesus in every area of our life. But how many know this, that when you live in a, in, in a ungodly culture, it can be difficult at times. And so we need to know how do we live our lives How do we live godly lives in a ungodly culture? How do we balance the truth of what we know to be true and the love that we are supposed to speak truth with? It's a challenge, it's a balance, but God wants to wants to do something in our lives. I believe that we are facing some very difficult times ahead in the American culture. And so for us, we we know this, that there is a strategy of the enemy to tear down to deconstruct what we believe to be true and actually not just believe it, is true. There is a strategy of the enemy against your family, against your your children, against your marriage, against your mind to deconstruct what is actually true. And so God wants, he's, over the next several weeks, God wants to speak to us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to un- reveal the strategies of the enemy that, funny enough, haven't changed for thousands of years. The enemy's strategy is still the same. Now, Jesus told us the outcome of the strategy is that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. And he said, but I have come, Jesus said, to give you life. But every strategy of the enemy is to deconstruct the truth of God's word, to get us to doubt it, to get us to to say, oh, really? Is that really true? Is this really true? And in the book of Daniel, we find these young men. They are taken out of their home and they are in exile. They're taken into slavery into Babylon. And there in Babylon, they begin to face some very difficult situations. But there is one man, Daniel. And Daniel is someone who just doesn't survive a ungodly culture. He thrives in it. And he remains true to his convictions, remains true to the truth. And we need to know how to do that today. We need to know how to honor God and honor the spirit of our Father who, who, while we were yet sinners, died for us, but also as stewards of our families, of our communities, of our nations, how, of our nation. How do we stand? What can we do? What, how can we be a part? We can, we can just, just roll over and just say, well, just, okay, we're just victims. We are not victims. We are victorious. We are overcomers. We've been called by God to, to rule and reign. So I want you to understand that this series is going to be challenging. The series is going to maybe make you a little uncomfortable, but that's what God, through his word, does in our lives. He shapes us. He speaks to us. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, and as we get into this, I just I want you to, to understand that we, we're going to look at today how the enemy, Satan, uses culture in our lives and how he uses it against us. And what can we learn from Daniel? Well, first off, what was the enemy's plan then and what's the enemy's plan now? It's exactly the same. So we're going to look at that passage of Scripture. But then over the next several weeks, we're going to find out how we can succeed and thrive in our Babylon. You don't have to look very far to know that our culture is moving further away from God. Now listen, culture is not the enemy. It's not the enemy. People are not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy, but they are not the enemy. It's a, it's a huge distinction for believers because many times we're like, you know, with something our heart turns towards somebody. You're like, Wait, no, 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 people are not the enemy. That's a victim of the enemy. Now, the enemy does use people in our lives to, to try to intimidate us, to get us to walk in fear, to keep us from standing up for what is truth and what we know to be truth. But through this series, I believe that God wants to strengthen you. He wants to embolden you. He wants you to live and walk as a believer and hold your head high and speak truth and declare truth in the spirit of love that we will not be intimidated by an ungodly culture. We will actually thrive in it and God will use us through it because we're the only hope that our broken culture actually has. We carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the issue in our world isn't the symptoms that we're seeing. It isn't the, all the different aspects of, of, of in, just terrible things that are happening. Th- those are symptoms of the root issue, which is sin. Everybody say sin. That's the issue. And so you can start chasing the, the, the symptoms of things, but you'll never get to the root. The root is sin. The only solution is Jesus Christ. And the only way that that solution can be broadcast to the world that's broken and hurting is through us. People who live as lights in the midst of darkness, salt in the midst of a place that needs to be healed. Without compromise, we hold strong. And that's what God's going to do in our lives. So today, I want to begin by reading Daniel chapter 1. As we get into this, this is the introduction of this series, but still today is very challenging as we let the Word of God speak to us. And so in Daniel chapter 1 is the, is the account. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple. So here you see Babylon is the, is the ungodly culture coming to the people of God and beginning to corrupt and beginning to enslave. And that which is holy, they are now taking the articles from the holy temple of God and these carried off into the temple of his God. A lot of connections here, understanding that what, which, what God created for holiness and righteousness, the enemy hijacks it and, and deceives it and uses it, tries to use it for his purpose, which is to destroy us. He perverts it. And what perversion means is it's the wrong version. So you can see that in sexuality, you can see it in relationships, you can see it in just in life and our thoughts and our, and our lives. He takes, he takes this version that is holy and perverts it. It's the wrong version of what originally was holy. And so he took articles from the temple of God. Then, we can go to the next one. Then the king ordered Ahashpanez, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. So, listen, you need to understand every one of us that is saved actually becomes a child of God. You are a royal priesthood, is what Scripture says, a holy people. And the enemy wants your hide. And he wants to deconstruct because, again, you are the only hope for the broken world. So he takes these folks from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome Showing aptitude. I know you're thinking of your pastor right now, but it, this is about someone else. That was funny, but you shouldn't. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language, the, the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now, we know for them they were, they were Jewish, so they were to eat a certain diet commanded by God. And so in every aspect of their life, from what they think, what they believe, to even what they eat, the strategy of the enemy is to get us to compromise. Then, excuse me, they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to receive a bachelor's of, and become Babylonians. That's a little play on words and I'll talk about later. They were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. So he named them. So he said, yeah, this is your name. And I'm going to give you a new name. To Daniel, Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, this is, the, this is the Daniel. This is the story that we all grew If you grew up in church, you, you grew up on the story of Daniel in the lion's den and all these different things. But there is an overarching principle in Daniel. There are some prophetic things that we will look at towards the end of the series about some end time things. But there is an overarching theme through Daniel on how do you live a godly life in a ungodly culture? And what is the strategy that the enemy is using against you? Because until you expose the strategy, you can't fight against it. You, it if, if you keep stuff in the dark, you, 
you never, it's going to always surprise you and get you. That's why you got to bring it into the light and allow the word of God to speak to it, to deconstruct the lie so that you can live the life God's called you to live. And so it's the same strategy. This is an ungodly culture, pagan worship. This is a culture that is totally, absolutely, from their worship, from their, from their lifestyles, and so we want to lean in and see what God wants to say to us today. And so the enemy uses culture to shape believers. Gets us to slowly compromise one bit at a time. And he'll even be clever at times and say, it's out of love that I am compromising. He'll even, he'll even get really clever if we go really far and he, he, you know, he, he'll convince us what we're doing is actually right. But when the scripture says it's actually wrong, sounds very familiar to the Bible that says in the last days what is right will become wrong and what is wrong will be called right. It's where we are today. So the enemy has a strategy. And the enemy has a purpose but so does God, and we want to live that life. So I'm going to look at just a few things that the enemy uses, how he uses culture to impact us and to keep us from living the life that God's actually called us to live. Number one, the enemy uses culture to attack and shape your worldview, your worldview, which is how you see the world. Conclusions in your own life. And he uses this to shape, to shape us in our own desires on, on for us to begin to desire to want something that is opposite than what God has called us to want in our lives. There was a, an article about what a worldview is. And these are some of the questions that to help us understand what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the enemy wants to shape how you will answer these questions through culture. So who am I? So instead of looking to the word of God, we would ask culture, who am I? Culture is trying to define who you are. Who are you? Why am I here? Like, why, why am I breathing? Why, why, why did God create me? Why did God make me? Well, culture wants to tell you why. Where am I going? What's the purpose of my life? What's, this, what's life all about? Is there a God or who is God? How can I live and die happily? Where, where, where do I find my pleasure in life? What, what are good and evil? Is the Bible true or is it, oh, actually, yeah, that was written, but that's, I know it says that, but that's actually not what it, what it means. And it begins a, a slow shift, a slow turn. And what would I be willing to die for? This last one, I, I, I know our, our youth culture is looking for a reason to live and something they can die for. The enemy wants to define that for them. He's scared to death that a young generation would say, I'm gonna base my life off of the word of God and the gates of hell won't prevail against the direction I'm going. And so he uses culture to shape it. And there is pressure on every direction of our lives, friends, to force us to conform to the mindset and the spirit of our age and our culture. And how the enemy uses culture is he gives us information through all the, all the means we gather information to slowly shift how we see things. The twist, maybe even truth, twisted in a way that causes us to answer these questions differently. This is why, in order for you to live a godly life in an ungodly culture, the word of God has to remain supreme in your life. It has to be what you base your life on. Listen, I don't mind reading books about the Bible, but I think what's so important, you can visit, visit those books, but you need to live in the Bible. It's our foundation, it's our baseline, it's, it's, it, it is what, it's our plumb line. And so we must submit to the word of God. To be a follower of Jesus means you are submitted to 
the word. You are submitted to what it says. You make Jesus the Lord of all your life. And you ask him to help you to continue to surrender and continue to, to, to walk with him. And he, from that surrender, blesses you and he, and he uses you and he answers these questions for you so that you can live a life that's worth living. But in, you must submit to the word of God. If you think the word of God's not true, then everything else is going to break down. So one of the main areas is it's, a, it's addressed through culture is the unreliability of the word of God. But when you look at it, when you read it, when you study it, it is true. It's rock solid. It is proven over and over and over again. It is life-giving. And it's something that will remain true to the end of the age. It's what we build our lives on. That's why Romans 12 talks about the influence of culture on Christians. And Paul tells the church in Rome, do not be conformed to the pattern of Rome, to the pattern of this world. That's where they were living, so that was their world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Then you will be able to figure out why you're on this earth. Then you will be able to know what is right and wrong, true and false. Then you will be able to determine that, which is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. The only way you can discern right, wrong, truth, and God's will for your life is through the word of God as it transforms your mind. There's a pastor from the UK. He's... He's uh, very well known, and he's written a lot of things about discipleship, but John Stott says this, we must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. This statement alone is un-American. But as followers of Jesus, the word of God tells us what freedom really is. The word of God tells us how we live our lives, how we love our neighbors. The word of God tells us what we stand for. The word of God gives us our worldview. And so for us as, a, as Christians, very, very important to understand. We, if you're a young adult, if you're a teenager, if you're an adult, it doesn't matter. We need to stop taking our cues on how we answer those questions from the world of what we should fight for or stand up for or believe or how we should live our lives or our, our sexuality. As Christians, the word is what defines them. Culture does not. It does not. Culture changes. It moves. Look at culture 20 years ago, 10 years ago, one year ago. It's a moving target. You don't ever know. And it's demanding you conform, you conform, you conform. The word of God hasn't changed. The word of God will not change. It's what we are to build our lives on. And it's to be a part of our daily lives. It's to be a part of who we are. The second way that the enemy uses culture, who is not our enemy, but it is a victim of the enemy, is number two, uses culture to isolate you from other believers. If you notice, Daniel was isolated, taken out of his home, taken out of, out of what was godly, taken away from family, taken away from his worship, taken away from the gathering of people. And the Babylonians knew that if you isolate somebody, they're vulnerable. And they're vulnerable to be deconstructed and then built back up to be the people that they want them to be. It's the same strategy today to define, to put new ideas and new causes and new passions. That's what they were doing. And the enemy wants to use culture to isolate you from other believers. The enemy wants to, wants to tell you that, that, that actually church doesn't matter. Many people do this voluntarily. They're like, yeah, I don't need church, just Jesus and my Bible. That sounds great, but your Bible doesn't say that. God's called each and every one of us to be a part of a body, to be part of a, a local church, 
to be, to have a pastor and to have people in your life that can help us, help, help you walk through life together and you can help someone else walk together. Listen, this is what the word of God says and the enemy wants you to think, you know, you don't need church. You don't need Christian friends. You don't need it. The New Testament church, they, they met wherever. No, 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 they didn't. They met under the same leadership in different places, but they were all moving together for one purpose. And the strategy of the enemy is to isolate you so he can begin to cause you to not be what God's called you to be. It's how culture influences us. It's kind of like the old joke that says, hey, remember, the banana that gets away from the bunch is the one that gets peeled. That's what this is talking about. Isolation. D.L. Moody said this about church attendance. He said, church attendance is, a vi is, is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood is to a sick man. I don't know, I don't know why God chose it that way, but he did. And I'm not, I'm, this, this isn't, church wasn't my idea. It was God's. It's, it's in the word of God. That's why in Hebrews 10, knowing the strategy of the enemy, Hebrews 10 combats this idea that you don't need church. He says, let us not, everybody say not. not. Neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his, Jesus' return is drawing near. It's a strategy of isolation, and culture wants to tell you the church doesn't matter. Even, e even Christian culture sometimes that's been influenced by the devil wants to tell you church doesn't matter. But the Bible says, do not neglect your, why? Because God meets us fresh and new in the body together. It's beautiful. It's how he's made us to be. Another way that the enemy uses culture in our life that we see in Daniel is number three, uses culture to indoctrinate you with a new truth. A new truth. As you often hear me say, listen, if you, if you hear some theology you've never heard before, first ask the question, why have I never heard of this before? This is exactly what's happening to Daniel. They're brought in, they're isolated to change their worldview. And now they're going, now they're, they're, they're going to indoctrinate them with a new tooth, with a new truth. Maybe a tooth too, but a new truth. <laughs> and, and the Bible says that the instruction given for them, what's going to happen to them, is teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The, the Hebrew behind this, that, that passage is really, it says, give them the whole book. Give them everything. The whole philosophy, the whole way of living, and actually make them Babylonian. Make them one of us. And here's what's interesting. As you look into this Babylonian book, which is a, a philosophy, and they had, they had courses that they would go through for three years. But there were courses of math and courses of, of medicine, courses of sexuality, and then there was courses on magic and witchcraft, new age, and it was designed to completely indoctrinate the philosophy of Babylon for three years. They were being indoctrinated with new truth, new beliefs. Hey, we know, we know what's true. That old world, you didn't even know, that's stupid. That's dumb. You're an idiot if you believe that. We'll tell you what truth is. So this whole idea of indoctrination, what is it? Well, the, to, to define indoctrination is this, the process of teaching a person or group to accept, now look at this, a set of beliefs uncritically. Yes, but what about, uh, doesn't matter what, this is truth. Okay. It, it leaves no room for reasoning. The Bible says, come let us reason together. 
The Bible encourages us to, to, to apply the word of God. It, it tells us that the word of God separates and bone and marrow, meaning it, it, it works on us. We wrestle with it. And then in the end, we find it's true. Indoctrination is, nope, no, there's no rest, no questioning. It is what it is. Shut your mouth, obey. So they were being indoctrinated, systematic, methodical deconstruction of real truth. And the enemy does the same thing today through culture. Systematically, indoctrination of a new truth so you won't even know what to believe anymore. Then the reconstruction of new truth that will tell you what to believe. It will tell you what love really is. No, no, we'll tell you what love is. We'll tell you what real living is. We'll tell you where you can get the most joy out of life. We'll tell you what, what, what lifestyle is what everyone wants and you can start to pursue. We'll tell you what sexuality is. We will tell you what marriage matters or doesn't matter. We will tell you what a, what a man is. We'll tell you what a woman is. We'll tell you what a, what a responsible dad really looks like. Or we'll tell you what a mom looks like. We'll tell you what modesty is. We'll tell you, listen to us and don't argue with us. And so you will get worked on as you, if, if you don't have a standard, if you don't have a plumb line, you will just get worked on until you have thoughts in your head that you think are actually yours, but they're not. They were planted by how the enemy used culture against you. And then you will fight to keep those thoughts. That's called deception. And the problem with deception is you don't know that you're deceived. So how do you, how do you know? The word of God. God, is my thought correct? Oh, actually, no. It's not. Then, Lord, I submit my mind and this thought to you under your lordship. And the enemy is using culture to redefine what truth really is. And he uses every area, the media. And here's the problem with, with the culture. They say they know the truth. But the problem is they are their only, only source of information. The whole, the whole understanding of truth is that there is a superior, there's a superior reality, and that's what defines truth. There's, and that's, that's why everything in culture is, is being absolutely attacked, as you can't trust that. You can't trust these areas of, of science that used to say this is what that meant, but now it's actually this. You can't trust these areas. You deconstruct everything. Why? Because the enemy wants to destroy you and your children. But he will not. Because you are going to be the lights and the salt and the hurting and broken world that holds strong. You are going to be the ones who stand when no one else will. You will be the ones. I think the Bible calls them a remnant. It's you. Those who say yes to the word and live out that life. And so we continue to ask God to, to use us as a, as a body of believers. This is why we have a youth ministry. This is why we have a children's ministry. Why? Because we are going to put the truth of God in their lives. We're going to give them, we're going to give them the community that God's called them to be a part of. We're going, to, we're, we're, we're going to help them understand how to discern right and wrong. And the truth is this, that reason, facts, wisdom, and good old common sense are absent in our culture because there is no baseline for truth. Proverbs 9 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the Bible says before you can have any wisdom, you need to understand that there is a God. There is a superior truth. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So there is no wisdom or understanding without first the baseline of a God who has given us his word to speak to us. There's no wisdom or understanding without God. That's why these, a lot of these schools that, that began as, as seminaries or, or Harvard or Yale, that's, that's why when, when someone goes there, they will go with some common sense and they will leave. Like, what? what? That doesn't make any sense. 
because they have walked away from the fear of God. They walked away from, from having God at the center. So therefore, they, they aren't producing people with wisdom and understanding. They are producing fools. Unless that person is a believer, as an individual, then they have wisdom and understanding because they have, they have a filter through their education. But that's why, it's one of the reasons why we have Faith Christian Academy as one of our ministries here at the church. And we believe in the word of God. We believe it's supreme. And we know the enemy wants to use culture to indoctrinate our youth with nonsense so they will live confused, broken, useless lives, which is the opposite of what God wants for them. Jesus came to give us a life that's life to the fullest, full of joy and peace and freedom and healthy relationships and healthy sexuality. That's why we have Faith Christian Academy. It's, it's interesting, Vody Bachman said this about education. He said, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Now, it doesn't mean that depending on your circumstances, it, you know, everyone will be able to do it. Or I, Listen, I get it. But it's, you need to understand our youth need to be prepared. They need to be prepared to be Daniels wherever they go. They need to be prepared. So we want to prepare them as a body, as Faith Bible Chapels, Faith Christian Academy, and all the areas of our ministry. That's what we, we want to prepare them. Another way that the enemy uses culture, and bef before I move on, we do have a, an area, if you're interested in Faith Christian Academy, if, uh, if, if, you are, if you are feeling the burden that, you know what, I, I don't want a Roman living in my house, and you, and you feel like I want to get some more information, you can stop by, and they would be happy to talk to you about who we are and, and our, our basis of education and what we're believing God is going to do in our, in our school over the next several years. But the fourth way that the enemy uses culture is to attack your God-given identity. So, so important. The chief official gave them, did you catch it? New names. New names. Names are powerful. Names are, n names are what give you your identity. Names are what kind of anchor you. We say something in my house, we say this, hey, listen, I know that's how you're acting or, or, or whatever, but the fact is this, we're kings. We don't act like, like that. Because a name gives, gives a, a, an identity. It gives a, a strength. It says, actually, you're right. We want to, that's not who we are. And so, especially in this culture, for the Hebrew culture, names were, they, they had a meaning. There was a reason they were named that way. And names, and the enemy wants to name you differently than what God's named you. The truth, like the song we sang today, that, that God's given us a new name. The enemy wants to rename you. He wants to redefine you. And that can, that can be through culture. That can also be through pain. That could be through something your mom and dad told you a long time ago. That could be through things someone spoke over you and somehow you've allowed that to name you. But the enemy wants to rename you. So for Daniel was given the name Belshazzar. Now, I, I, so I look at this for a second. So this new name, Belshazzar, is, is a redefining. It's a re-labeling. Hanani, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, Azariah, Abednego. Interesting, right out of the gate, they want to say, actually, this is who you are. They're telling them who they are. So, so, so they are who they are. An outside source tells them who they are now. So culture, how the enemy uses culture. I want you to see this meaning of Daniel's name, which is God is my judge, which means I live my life for God and God alone. But as they renamed him Belshazzar, which is protector of the king, 
okay? But actually, in, in the language, when you go a little deeper, this, this, the bell, B-E-L, was, um, was a god at the time. And there, there were two areas of this one god. There was a masculine side and a female side, a feminine side. And so the T that falls in here possibly is it gives it either a male or female. Some scholars believe his name was changed actually to a female's name, which meant lady protector of the king. Now, what are the other aspects of what happened for these young men that came in? They were made into eunuchs, which means they were castrated. And one of the ways that, that the enemy uses culture is that he attacks gender. Do you know why he attacks gender? Because God created gender and he hates everything that God creates. And so the enemy attacks gender. And then that attack on gender is how the culture influences culture, every aspect, universities, college. It attacks it all the way down. Why? Because gender is a structure which God created, the family, the home, how he creates even the structure of, of, uh, of the families, the structure of the church, because male, female, God created in the garden. Why? Because it is the best for our lives, and it is holy and created by God. But the enemy wants to attack gender because it brings confusion into the hearts of people. And he wants to bring confusion to people. They, they don't even know who they are. They're hurting. They don't even know they're hurting. And they're confused. And I know this is a message you're like, Jason, are you really going here? The Bible does. So how do you live a godly life? How do, you, how, how do you affirm the biblical gender in an ungodly culture that attacks everything about the Bible? That's what we need to know. How do you stand for truth while standing in love? That's what we need to know. Because again, you carry the message of hope for a broken and dying generation. It's you. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only answer it doesn't mean we, we, don't, we aren't stewards for our families. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't fight for, for political things that are in absolute uh, violation of the Word of God. It doesn't mean we don't do that. Of course we do that. But that's not the solution. Jesus is. The redeemed heart is. And the, new, the, the old made new. The new name. Uh, the name written in the Lamb's book of life. Names matter. And this is what happened in Babylon. And this is what's happening in our culture. We need to expose it so that we can be bold and live it out. The enemy's main goal is to get you to believe that you're something that you are not. So you will never live out the, the good life that God has for you. But here, there's another reason. The enemy wants you, or the enemy wants to influence the godly in your life the life lived on the Word of God. He wants to cause you to, to, to doubt everything the Word of God says. And he does that through culture. But you know why? Because he is entrapped culture. And he wants your light to adapt to them. He wants, he wants your light that you were called to be a city on a hill, to shine bright. He, he, listen, you are a, a lighthouse for the hurting and broken world on, on the storms of life and their confusion that when the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to them that they are lost and then they want to look for another model and they look to the, to the shores of, of the only place it can be found. They can't see our lights anymore because we have dimmed them to match theirs. In Philippians, there's a scripture that says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. What's the, what's the point of in a, in a world full of crooked and perverse people? It means that we could be lights that they could follow to their Savior. 
Listen, we're just a beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. But if you're not shining where they can see you, they're not going to find the bread. And the enemy wants to dim our lights through compromise, through fear, through intimidation. Just adapt. Just fight for something so that you're not rejected by them. Just do this so you're not canceled. And the Lord says, I need you to be lights. Daniel succeeded in the midst of the utmost pagan place on the planet. And he kept living the way God told him to live. And there was a confrontation. And if you live for Jesus, there will be confrontations. If you live for Jesus, you will be persecuted. I promise you, because Jesus said you would. Out of Acts, the disciples left the city. They had just been persecuted and, and thumped on and beat. The Bible says they left rejoicing. They left rejoicing because they had been found worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. The Christian life is not a life to avoid suffering. It's a life of sacrifice to be the light and the salt in the world that God's placed us in and called us to be in. You can succeed in this ungodly culture. You can thrive. God can use you, and he wants to, and he's looking for someone to say, God, use me. Use me, God. It could be in business. It could be in politics. It can be at Starbucks, wherever you can be a light that shines and says, this is the truth. That's what God's called you to do. That's what he's called you to be. That's the invitation through this series that we will live godly lives in an ungodly culture. And we will do it in the spirit of our Savior. We will do it in the kindness of our God. But we will not compromise. We will not back down. We will not look the other way. We will lean in when everyone else runs. Why? Because we have the spirit of God inside of us. We have the one who doesn't know fear. We have the one who has overcome. We have the one who has invited us to be champions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who stand and you may be the only one to speak, but that we would find the same spirit as the disciples and rejoice because we have been found worthy to suffer for the name. And we're not foolish. We don't, we're not looking for a fight. We are pro-Jesus, pro-Bible, not anti-culture. That's not who we are. But we are pro-love and we're pro-truth and we know what truth is. The enemy wants you to fear, to be what God's called you to be. We will not fear. When you feel that culture is breathing down your neck, when you feel intimidated, don't retreat. Lean in. Stand for truth. When you start to feel fear to speak truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, lean in. Lean into that fear. Because I tell you this, if we're not facing opposition, we're not, we're not pressing against the gates of hell. But we do it out of love. The balance of truth and love. Truth and love. Be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. If it's not you, then who? If it's not us, then, then who? God's given us this culture to steward. He's given us our families to take care of to guard them and to, and to make decisions. And you, you set the standard in the home. Culture doesn't. 
Get culture out of your home. Put Jesus in the center of your home. Acceptance by culture? It's not acceptance, it's indoctrination because you had to give up something to be accepted by them. What is that? And God is calling his church back to a place where his word reigns supreme. That your, your home and what you, what you tell your children and how you lead our family and how we lead our school and our ministry here is not based on what is cool and what, what helps us to, to say half-truths and not whole truths. It's not, it is based on the truth of God's word that does not move. I Listen, it does not adapt to me. I adapt to it. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He tells me what to do and how to live my life once I come under his authority. I don't tell him. But Jesus, I I have this desire. But Jesus, I I, I want another wife. And and Jesus, I I want this. But Jesus, I have same-sex attraction. But but Jesus, I I want to get rich. And listen, I'll cheat over here because you you just want me happy. And Jesus says, no, I want you holy. I want you as my bride. And if you will submit to my word, I will bless your life. I will use you. I will will cause supernatural things to happen in your life. That is what it means to submit yourself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna go on a journey the next several weeks. And allow the word of God to work in our hearts, not to condemn us, just to peel back the layers of deception that I guarantee every one of us in this room and joining online has been a victim to at some area of our life and we may not even know it. But the word of God cuts through, separates, and heals at the same time. We will be people of love, but people of truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word that challenges us deeply. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Lord, we pray that you would use us to reach a hurting, broken, dying, confused people. Lord, I ask you that you would use us to be lights on a hill that shine for you. God, I ask you that we would base our lives off the word of God. Lord, I ask you today that those in this room, if we have been deceived, indoctrinated, influenced, begin to reveal it to us. Show us, God. God, may we not approach Scripture to give us permission of what we can do in our flesh. May we approach Scripture that we look for ways that we can, we can adapt to it, that we can submit to it. And Lord, the truth is we can't submit without your grace anyway. It's like the man in the, in the Bible, God, that says, Lord, I believe, but help me to believe. Yes, Lord, we submit, but help me to submit. That's a cry of all of our hearts. But Lord, we make a decision today. We will not back down. We will not compromise. We will stand for truth. We will not make excuses. We will not try to find things in the Bible that, that, that we somehow say it means what it, what it's, it doesn't mean what it says. We won't do that. Forgive us for that, oh God. Lord, today we give you our, our lives. Use us for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you would say, I do not know Jesus Christ and I wanna know him, I wanna be transformed by him. I want to find truth and clarity. This is what I'm tired of being confused. I'm tired of being lost. And you right now recognize that you are not a follower of Jesus and you wanna give your life to him right now. Nobody's looking around. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand right where you are and hold it up right where you are. God bless you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. Bless you guys, thank you. The Bible says that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you will be saved. God wants to use you. Those of you, you raised your hand, God wants to use you. Even if you didn't raise your hand and you, and you, and you know you want Jesus, he wants to use you. 
He wants you to be a voice that other people won't be. And the first step is give your life to him. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And the Bible says if you believe with all your heart that you will be saved. And we're all going to pray together as a family today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my mind. Heal my heart. Heal my mind. Remove all deception from my life. I confess I need you. I give you my life today. I submit to your word today. I make you my Lord and my master today. Take my life and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we just want to ask you to do me a huge favor. In front of you is a connect card, and you can fill that out. And when you leave, just drop it in the, box, in, in the baskets when you leave. Sorry, the buckets when you leave, the white buckets. Also, if you have a prayer request, you can write on that card as well and drop it in there. But we would be honored to help you on your journey as you follow Jesus. And we become a brighter light that leads the lost to the Savior. Let's all stand to our feet. And I'd be honored if you'd allow me to pray a blessing over your family today and over you individually. If you can, just lift your hands to receive from the Lord. God, in Jesus' name, I come before you and I ask that you would bless your people online and live right here, God. God, I pray that you would prosper them, that you would lead them in the ways of righteousness, that, God, you would give them ideas that no one else has about areas in their business because you've given them the mind of Christ. God, I pray for those who, who would surrender their lives to you, that you would, give, you would prosper them as you did Daniel that you would bless them as you did Daniel, that you would use them as you did Joseph. And God, I ask you today that you would open doors that only you can open and close doors that the enemy has opened and we think it's you. Bring clarity to our hearts, our minds. Bless our marriages. And God, today may we set you at the center of our lives in Jesus' name. Lord, go with us. Set your angels around us to protect us and keep us that we would be the people that you redeemed and saved us to be. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Let's give God one more hand today.